Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast with two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host, Winsor Burns, and my counterpart, Savon Morris, was not able to be here for this episode, but we're joined by a special guest who's been on in the past, Kevin Garcia, um, in Dallas, who does mentoring work at a nonprofit organization, right? And, and currently has a podcast um, on hip hop and spirituality called Lord Knows, and, and had a really good episode about Donda um, recently. But Kevin, thank you so much for being back on, man. Oh, of course. Thank you. Um... I did, uh, because of me now, the, you guys' subtitle has to be adjusted a little bit since I just entered my 30s here recently, so, you know. Oh, yeah, 30s. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so when Savon gets in his 30s, we're going to have to completely change the structure of the podcast. <laughs> Everything changed. That's when it just has to end. You know, you can't keep yeah, doing it. <laughs> it. Might have to end. Might have to end, honestly. <laughs> um, but, but for this episode, we're going to have a lot of topics dealing with, you know, the NBA play-in tournament, obviously the playoff first round coming up, some album reviews in the second half. We're going to do a review of uh, Menace Society. But to start off with just thoughts on, you know, how the play-in tournament has been so far and the biggest headlines in them. Um, you know, so far we've had the Nets and Timberwolves advancing, and then the Hawks, Cavs, and Clippers, Pelicans are playing later tonight. And, and there has been the breaking news of Paul George entering the health and safety protocol and not being available for tonight's game. But in, in terms of just how, you know, we were able to see Minnesota get, get a major big-time home win, Brooklyn – Kevin, uh, uh, KD, and, and Kyrie just played extremely well uh, offensively, but there were still p- parts in the game where the, where Cleveland was able to, you know, make a comeback and, and kind of make the game interesting. What have been your thoughts on just how the playing tournament ha- has been so far, and who do you think will advance tonight? Yeah, uh, there's a lot of things there. I, I think that uh, I'll start with uh, congratulating Minnesota, you know, on their their uh, first championship. Uh, they they had a. What did you game. think about the celebration? Oh, uh, so here's a couple of things. So for me, as a Lakers fan, this was probably the first time I enjoyed the NBA all season. Mm. It was nice. Um, I like a lot of the Timberwolves players, um, and then I also dislike just the Clippers in general. So it was very wonderful, like a very nice game to watch. Um, yeah. And there's been a whole bunch of discourse about oh, why are you making fun of them celebrating? Because, you know, da-da-da-da. And I was like, look, it's still funny to joke, you know. Um, Twitter was hilarious when that happened. Like, it was such a funny... That's when Twitter's at its best. (laughs) Oh, by far. Like, I was posting my Photoshops, and people are getting mad at me. And, like, I'm like, guys, I I do the same thing to my own team. And my team is trash, like, this year. And very disappointing this year. And I've been hearing it all year. It's Mm -hmm. it's fun, you know. Um, So, but anyways, like, overall, like, I thought it was... Um, a really great win to see younger players like, you know, Anthony Edwards come in and uh, play really well, especially with Cat going down and for them to step up. And uh, me, I've always liked D'Angelo Russell. Obviously, him being a Laker early on helped that. But I feel like he has done pretty good than his reputation gets a lot. I mean, he helped the Nets get to the playoffs, you know, to be good enough for them to then eventually have a structure that Katie and Kyrie wanted to join. Um, then he leaves and gets traded around. Um and he People forget the- that. People forget that. Like the structure that was placed in for Brooklyn mm-hmm. right before Katie and Kyrie came was very alluring. Like, yeah. like, like that's what really like made it attractive yeah. to go there. Because no one expected them to like do that. I mean, it was like him and Dinwiddie and stuff like that. Like that, no one was really talking about them making the playoffs or doing that. And you know, they got beat, but it was still that effort given. It's kind of similar to the situation with the Clippers. You know, the Clippers had kind of a foundation before people like uh, Kawhi and Paul George um, went over there to join them, um, and so. Uh, it was it was a really fun game. It was really fun, and and I was and I made the jokes, but I'm fine with them celebrating as much as they want to, um, especially yeah. Pat Beverly. I mean, it's a team that you was again that let you go, that traded you. <laughs> of course, you're going to be happy, and that's what you do. That's a dream, that's a dream scenario. <laughs> yeah, like you're 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 a WWE basketball player. Of course, you're going to make a big deal about it, and I'm I was totally fine with it, but I'm still going to joke about it too. <laughs> yeah, definitely, and, and I mean, like in, in terms of uh, now getting into kind of like. Uh, especially with Paul George being out for the Clippers and then them facing the Pelicans and TJ McCollum looking like j- j- just like extremely comfortable being in that position with the Pelicans and and playing so well. I, I, like as we know, he's he's one of the the, the most like refined offensive players that we have in, in mm-hmm. today's game. Like, what are your thoughts on that matchup and just you know the loss of Paul George as the Clippers? They have been able to play well even without their two best players and Tyron Lue always kind of has this like set game plan that is able to like make them adjust even in tough scenarios. Yeah, like. I have such a weird, a weird feeling about how that's going to go. Like, I'm not sure. Like, like you yeah. said, I do think a lot of times the Clippers have been able to, like Ty Lue has been able to get them to kind of exceed their expectations. 
And there's just something, <laughs> I don't know, about the Pelicans that's like, it's been good since they've got McCollum and doing this, but there's something so dull about the whole team in a sense, in a weird way, even though they got some talent. And I'm, I'm a huge Brandon Ingram fan, you know, following him since he was a Laker. Um, I almost feel like the the a lot of people have started to say, you know, it's going to be a clear win by the Pelicans. Paul George wasn't there. And even if he was there, it'd be hard. And part of me thinks... I wouldn't write them off. So, I wouldn't write off the Clippers so soon. Yeah, like I really feel like this is going to kind of cause them to be really, really alert and into it. And the Pelicans aren't like the kind of talented that can just wash a team that easily. Um, right. So I think they're probably going to keep it hanging around. But if I had to bet money or anything like that, I still would probably pick the Pelicans. I mean, they just got more talent and them they playing win. solid. Yeah, they should win. Definitely. Um, and, and now getting into kind of like most intriguing first round playoff matchup. Um, you know, there there really are a lot of early ones. Like you look at Sixers, Raptors, there are definitely signs of that kind of being a more interesting series, um, even Warriors Nuggets. Um, but like Celt- the Celtics and Nets one really like stands out because, you know, when you look at the series, Boston is a leading in both defensive and offensive rating. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tatum and Brown have kind of matured beyond a lot of expectations and Brooklyn has the 10th best offense, but kind of near the bottom of the league in defense and have won their last four regular season games. Um, but, but to you in terms of like, what's kind of like the most intriguing first round matchup, like which one kind of has your most attention your, your attention the most right now yeah the, the it, it's it's the boston and brooklyn um yeah i i there's not much more i would love since my season's already down the drain there's not much more that i would love <laughs> than for the celtics have had this kind of like nice end of the season all this stuff go on and then them still get bounced in the first round that would make me as a laker fan very very happy <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. and and you know and, and i think it is interesting you do look at like KD, when he was playing and not being injured, the Nets are on pace for like around a 53-ish win season, which would have been, you know, like the first seed or second seed. Like they were doing that, and that was really without Kyrie even yet. And so they're a very good – I just – I've gotten a little confused at times because last year they were even worse in the sense that Kyrie wasn't there at all. James Harden, if you watched it, was barely even able to play. And they barely – didn't um, beat the team that won the championship uh, with the Bucks, And it was like very, very close. So there's part of me that almost wonders if it could be like a big, oh, just five games, the Nets got it. And this is with me saying, again, I in think theory, it's that much of an advantage. I think it, it can Brooklyn has that much. Okay. I think it can be. Um, I, I, I'm saying it in the sense of like, look at how good the Bucks were last year. Yeah. And when it came to the playoffs and look at how good, um, they played against them, you know, and how well they played there. And they have, they honestly, they actually have, I think having Drummond there and then having Curry there is better than some, I mean, Curry or Joe Harris could be kind of a wash in a way, but like having some more players like that could help. And then potentially, even if you only get 15 minutes a game from Ben Simmons, I think the latest report is like games four through six, if necessary four, or whatever, yeah. um, that I think that, that it would be uh, that way. Now, let me say again, I the the Celtics are my least favorite franchise in all of sports, so I'm probably very biased, <laughs> um, and I'm maybe hoping here. But I do think that there are times where certain teams that try harder, quote unquote, it's great for the regular season, and then sometimes in the postseason that doesn't always translate the same way, and in which the same kind of dominance it doesn't look the same way whenever talent and skill kind of does seem to rise to the top and and work that way. Definitely. And, and I mean, like, the, the two interesting things about that is you possibly could have Robert Williams coming back for them. And he's been like mm-hmm. a defensive anchor and they have they're going to have home court advantage in, in this series. And possibly if they if they play Milwaukee in the next series, if they advance, like, do you feel as though like, how much does home court advantage matter for this team? And do you feel as though if Robert Williams comes back that like how, how big of a deal would that be in terms of like, you know, helping their odds in the series? Oh, th- I, yeah, I, I forgot to. That is a big reason why I also do think that. um there's it might be a little easier for the Nets. It's like Robert Williams' absence is huge. Like he's been playing very, very good. He lets the wings be aggressive and lets Marcus Marcus Smart be aggressive and not just his one-on-one defending, but like floating around. Um, because if he bites on something and misses, there's someone to like hold down the paint still. Um right. that can do it very well. So I think it's really huge actually for them. Um and so if he's able to come back in, I would I do think it gives him obviously everyone would that it gives him a much better chance that way. Um, a home court advantage is kind of hard. I, I, th- I think Boston's probably a place that you do have a good home court advantage as opposed to other arenas. There's not all of them. For example, the Nets, I don't know if there's really like 
people fear going into the Brooklyn Nets place. I don't even know the name right now. But the fans think- are so casual. The fans are so <laughs> casual. And it's like the Nets and the Clippers, like the fans are like, okay, cool. I'm at an NBA game, but I don't yeah, really care. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, like in a lot of places, it might not be a massive advantage, but Boston does have, you know, a very strong and proud fan base, um, even yeah. though they only have one championship in almost 40 years. But they do have a very proud <laughs> fan base. And I, and I 08, almost... 08. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they act like they got the three-peat. But, um, and I know I'm over here just taking unnecessary shots at Boston, but... Um, it's it's all I can do this year. So y'all have a better team than us right now. So let me have this. <laughs> That's true. Definitely. Um, and, and now kind of getting into kind of like which player has the most pressure on them this postseason. Like almost every playoff season, me, me and Savon, we, we'll kind of look at like before um, the playoffs start, like which player kind of has the spotlight on them. But I, I kind of feel like when you look at it, James Harden, especially like with him like being a superstar trio of the Nets and now being a part of the duo with Embiid, um, the amount of you know playoff flameouts and underperforming key moments, it, it's just it's just going to be natural for a lot of eyes to be on him and just kind of like how he will deliver in this new situation. Mm-hmm. But looking at all of the players that kind of have a lot of pressure on them this postseason, like like which one would you kind of pick in terms of um, which one like has a lot to prove? Yeah, I have kind of like a one A and one B. Um, the the one B is James Harden, of course, for every reason you said. Um, you know, he wanted the trade there. He's with a a good franchise a team that's already was doing well um and when they traded for him it's not like they lost they didn't lose ben simmons because they weren't playing you know he wasn't playing and they you know they had drummond and curry and stuff but like the chance like you're adding a great offensive player to a team that's already very good and really good defensively so like that should just naturally in theory even if it takes time to jail it should be much better um which you know hasn't quite been the case (laughs) um so I think that is one. But, you know, one other person that I think has a very – I don't think anyone's talked about it really. Um, that I think because of how their team has been all year and the clear dominant favorite, I think Chris Paul should have some a little bit. Mm. Um, he's constantly had a lot of issues. And I know a lot of it revolves around injuries. And I'm not the type of person to be like, you're just injury prone and da-da-da-da because you can't really help it, you know? Um but he's, you know, he's in the discussions for, like, greatest point guards ever or greatest, you know, top whatever players ever, you know, uh, the point guard, you know. And, and, and there's this kind of idea with him. And the, the Suns have been so dominant this year. They've been so dominant that oh, it, it would be a pretty disappointing loss um, if they weren't able to make it, like, uh, or if they weren't able to win even. Um, because they have been the one team from the beginning to the very end. They have just constantly been doing that. They have a great team that fits around him. Um, and I think he really, I, I think if they don't this year, that would be kind of a hard pill to swallow for two it years would, in a row to be doing really good and then kind of come up short the same way, especially obviously his age. This is even better. This Suns team is even better than oh, last year's. Yeah, <laughs> last year's was kind of like, hey, we got here a little bit early, but we're here. And this year's like what you know you would have hoped best case scenario would be. And the reason I say pressure is not like, oh, he's trash if he doesn't get a ring, things like that, nothing like that. It's just more so like what one ring can even solidify in the minds of so many people. Like just having one is so much different than not having one. You know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. such a big difference between the ways people will talk about even just one for someone like Dirk, for example, versus Carl Malone um, or you know, um, whoever else it might be. Imagine Kevin Garnett never actually wound up winning his ring. You know, things like that. Like uh, how people can talk about anybody when they actually get that. It's just such a, a different level of it's respect. It's a career narrative changer. It Absolutely. just changes your, your career narrative. Yeah, yeah. It, it just kind of has one of those. It's almost equivalent to like a player who puts up good stats in the regular season, and you're not sure if they're going to be able to do that in the playoffs. There's almost kind of a thing like that, like, hey – you can be really good, but are you good enough to actually have a team like play in such a way that your team was the best team? Or are you kind of always just kind of there? And, and, so, and you know, a lot of that's not really fair necessarily. I'm not saying if it should be or shouldn't be. I'm just saying there's so much that he can kind of gain from that kind of win. And I think there would be pretty disappointing if they, if they don't quite get to that. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, like, in terms of who you think sh- should be kind of like the finals favorites or, or like the, like the, the two teams you kind of have the most confidence in, like, I would personally go Suns-Bucks just because just I feel like the Suns team has just so much together in terms of, like, 
the worker, the, like the construction of their roster and how well Devin mm-hmm. Booker's played. And then for the Bucks, I think Giannis in the postseason has, he's kind of seemed like one of the most reliable players you can find. And even players like Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, they've just mm-hmm. been able to step up in key moments. And I, and I think even in a series against Brooklyn, they're kind of a, uh, it's kind of a, a, a almost like a, a bad matchup for Brooklyn at some points. Because obviously Brooklyn has offensive talent, but there are certain ways Milwaukee can neutralize them that other other teams can't. But who would kind of be like your early like finals favorite or two teams you have the most confidence in? Yeah, um, if I was being like, hey, dependable, who I'd have more confidence, who I think more than likely will do stuff. Of course, yeah, I'd probably have the um, the Suns and the Bucks. I mean, they've just throughout the year they have two of the be- like a couple of the best players. They have um, obviously the Suns have had the best team, and um, Giannis has just been doing whatever he wants to do at any point. Um, now, personally, who I picked in my prediction, and this goes with a comment earlier, I think I think unless injuries come, and um, that could very well happen, I am picking Brooklyn to be in the finals. Okay. Um, so I, th- I think that Brooklyn will be able to make the finals. It's hard for me to erase that series la- last year and not imagine if KD had just a little more help in shot creation yeah, and things like that. It would have put them over. It would have put them over. Definitely. Yeah, and 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 it's and Kyrie's a, a very proven playoff performer. You know, like there's mm-hmm. there's there was one series in Boston where it kind of looks like he quit on him. Um, but other than that, like um, he's been very very good. I mean, he's one of the best shot makers of all time. KD's one of the best shot makers of all time. And when things get super tight, creating your own shot is like one of the really more important things often because. You'll see in playoffs, things tighten up. And even teams that aren't that great defensively, when it's a game five or a game three, game seven, teams start all of a sudden magically becoming pretty good and playing really hard. And then at a certain point, it just matters, like, even if you don't play hard uh, or even if you do play hard, who can still score? And Kyrie and KD are probably the top two players I'd want to make a bucket (laughs) if if they're even being guarded by someone who's very good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and now getting into our first album review with, with Ben Staples, Ramona Park, Broke My Heart. Um, in this new album, you know, it's really rooted in, in um, Southern California's past and present. You know, it's able to build off some of the concepts of, of its predecessor and, and specifically in terms of, of pace and song structure. Um, you know, there's a, a overtly West Coast production with uh, DJ Quick. You know, it features scratches from the iconic stylist himself and Staples' uh, paranoid floors on Mama's Boy and Bang That, which pay homage to Draco the Ruler and, and O3 Greedo. But what were kind of your initial thoughts on this album and, and just, you know, how it kind of captured moments of musical brilliance? Because even with his album last year, the, the, the self-titled album, he's he's been able to, to to just be in like this creative space where in back-to-back years, Kimmy, he put up like two of the, the most impressive albums that we've had in the mm-hmm. last few years. But kind of like what were some of your initial thoughts with it? Yeah, no, I've 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 been wanting to talk with anyone who I know who listens to Vince or, or even if they don't, if they listen to this album, um, I'm... In a state, since it's still new, I'm personally trying not to overrate how I feel about this album right now. That's how yeah, much I like I understand it. That. I I really, really like it. And I think one way to summarize how I feel is there's a part of me. So I'm I'm a, a huge Kendrick Lamar fan. He's either my favorite or one A, one B all time. And this album or this type of album is the type of album I would have really wished Kendrick would have made. And I say that in a way that I that speaks very highly of Vince and his creativity of not just making like a West Coast album and just calling it and having Dr. Dre produce it because it's all the big known things, but using samples like um, Dollars and Cents and with a DJ Quick song and using all the things that you mentioned earlier and all the samples, the allusions, there's allusions to Tupac songs. There's all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff throughout the album. And with kind of the general feel of a lot of West Coast music that can feel enjoyable or good until you listen to it, and you're like, oh, man, that content's kind of kind of dark, but you're kind of like, that sounds nice, <laughs> you know, or yeah. <laughs> um, things like that, that. I think Vince does a lot, even with his videos constantly. You're like, man, that's produced so well. It looks so good. Then you read the lyrics, and you're like, oh, that's a very depressing kind of situation. Um, mm-hmm. And I literally view – I mean, I'm a huge Vince fan. I think his last couple albums – have been amazing. Uh, and, and I liked Vince as a personality before I even liked his music. Um, like, I would like a song he here hilarious. and there. He's hilarious. <laughs> Vince, Vince is, just as a person, even in his interviews, he's yeah. going to always challenge you to think. Yeah, he's interviews. He's on Twitter spaces. 
Yeah. He, he was talking to someone's mom the other day about the album and stuff. It was, it was hilarious. <laughs> like, and so he was someone, it's funny, him and Tyler, the creator are two people who I like wish I liked, but didn't. And then eventually did. Um, and so, um, but Vince's like last what, FM and then the Vince Staples album. And then this one, this one to me might be his best album. Um, like I said, I wow. loved his album last year. I had it, I think second behind J. Cole's album. That's how much I really, yeah. really, how highly I, was a I sleeper. view him. That, that album didn't get talked about enough to me. Like, not, that was no, sleeper. not at all. And so I've, I really love this album. I've been listening to it nonstop since it came out. Like, and there's been other music coming out that I wanted to listen to, but I have just been listening to it. He kind I didn't of want to leave this album. I didn't want to leave this album. And mm-hmm. I knew I had other albums to listen to. I just wanted yeah. to stay with this album. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it has been, it's lyrically, of course, he's always going to be able to rap well, but just the, the flow of the album um, yeah. Kind of like you can tell like how he's anchoring it into like where he's from. And and that's what's so good about whether people do like movies or people are displaying their own culture or their city. Like it's almost like the more specific you are, even though people can't relate to your place, there's other aspects of it and the appreciations of it and their relationship to their city or their area that they can kind of connect to. And like, you're like, man, I might not feel the same way about, um, you know, Ramona Park that Vince does, but it's the same for me with Oak Cliff or West Dallas or whatever that I have here. You know what I mean? Like seeing the kind of situations and seeing people doing what you can amidst like violence and difficulty and things like that. And it's, it's just, and it's funny because I I always, I don't like to think peace talk all the time with Vince because he makes fun of that himself, even though he makes the kind of albums that like (laughs) <laughs> you know, necessitate that. Like I saw it, I read an amazing article earlier and I completely, I think it was on Vulture or something. Someone uh, wrote something really well. I always forget the actual places because I usually follow more like people than I do. Um, oh, Craig Jenkins. Craig Jenkins wrote an incredible article. Look that up. Or it's on the New Yorker. He wrote an incredible article just kind of sharing some thoughts on it and America's relation to violence, those kind of things. And sometimes, again, people can be too think PC in a way, but it's an album that's worth thinking about and thinking through thoroughly. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, and that, that kind of brings me to a question about why isn't, why isn't Vince a superstar yet in terms of, in terms of hip-hop? Because you, you, you look at other, other rappers who are kind of like drawn, he doesn't, he doesn't have like the commercial appeal as, as some other artists do, because even mm-hmm. like Punch from TDE, he like put up a tweet, um, I think a couple months ago, about like who are the current, like, who's going to be the next generation of superstars in hip hop. Yeah. But to you in terms of like how he can get into that lane, or maybe he just is going to stay in the, which, if he stays in this lane, like, I, I would have no problem with it. But why do you think he's not able to be kind of that superstar as some other rappers that we see? Oh man. I, I'm not sure. Like, like there's, there's actually another person we're going to be talking about in a minute that kind of got pigeonholed there too, a little bit where you're kind of confusing. Cause I see all this talk about Vince, but the music just sounds good too even if you're not paying attention that, that deep, you know what I mean? So it, it, it is kind of hard to, for me to, to understand how that, that can work. I know people, when they talk about the, the music industry, sometimes it has to do with backing, sometimes it has to do with you know, all those things. Vince might not want to portray a certain way. Um, True. Although he's adjusted his music at times to kind of get to fit into certain things too. Like that was the, the Big Fish Theory album. Um, which mm-hmm. personally wasn't my favorite, um, but I didn't. I wasn't a fan of that. Yeah, and <laughs> but but see, for him, I heard an interview, and he was like on tours with places that would like that kind of music. So it was crazy because yeah. although he wasn't selling or getting certain um, popularity that other people might have, he was selling out tours in all these random countries because they just like that sound and someone rapping to it. So it was like working out well for him. But I don't know because like I think he raps well, but he's not like just trying to be a conscious rapper. Um, the music's good, but it has substance. So I don't know if it's one of those, like, he's just in a weird space. Um, because there's other rappers who do similar things that don't quite pop either. Um, or, or rather that do pop off. And I'm like, man, he's not even as good as Vince, though. You know, like, That's so, true. I, so That's it, true. it is honestly kind of hard for me to figure that out. But again, I'm, I'm a really big Vince Staples fan, so I don't get why anyone doesn't like his music. <laughs> Definitely. Did, did you have any, like, were there any like top three like from from this album to you like any any tracks? It's like when Spark Slide to me was probably like my favorite off the album. Um, East Point Prayer, Player Ways, and, and Paper Cuts were, were, were another uh, like a couple other ones. But were there any like standout tracks that you kind of felt as though like were the best ones from this album? Yeah, I mean the 
Yeah, when Sparks fly into East Point Prayer, like those two back to back are incredible. That's insane. That like, is that, 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 insane yeah. sequencing. <laughs> those those are like, man, that gets like and I even I even tweeted it yesterday. I don't even know if most people knew what I was saying, but like there's the Nas song that's similar. Um oh my gosh, my mind just blanked about the about the gun and stuff like that. And I was like, man, I like this song better than that. I also really like the DJ Quick song. Like I said, DJ Quick's one of my favorite artists of all time, one of my favorite producers of all time. So I like that. And I love West Coast music, even just fun, bounce, West Coast. So I love the single, and I usually hate singles. So just the song Magic with DJ Mustard, like I I, I love that song. It's just and that a was a song. different type of song for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and I love that sound. Like I like West Coast music that's just fun. It doesn't have to be super thoughtful. But it's the crazy thing. Even, even the 90s versions of that, it was fun and all that, but it was still laden with a lot of like violent thought and, and reflection in a way, you know? And it's like, we can't help but just kind of have some fun right now because like it's crazy out here, you know? So we got to do something to just have fun. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's, there's a few of them like that that are really good. And, um, and then there's times where I'm listening to it and I forget which song is which, is which because I'm just playing it straight through every time. But th- those are a couple of standouts to me. Absolutely. Um, and now getting into Fabio Foreign's uh, Bible, um, in his debut album, you know, he brings a, a loose energy and builds on the, the, the uh, surrogate uh, themes he explored with his verse last year on Off the Grid from Donda. And with Kanye being the executive producer, you could definitely notice kind of like the, the gospel tinge feel to it as it had a peculiarly catchy contrast to its uh, vigorous big uh, ticket drill aspirations. But um, to you, like, what were your, some of your thoughts on this debut album and, and some of your main takeaways from it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> so he, he's obviously been <laughs> oh, having... that pause right there. <laughs> It, it, it's just a big difference when I jump from from the Vince album to yeah. here, and and I don't mean exactly. that just okay. I don't think it's like trash or anything different tiers. at all. Different yeah. tiers. Yeah, um, there's a couple things. So I remember here. I've heard a couple of people's responses like, "Hey, we don't really like it that much." Da da da. And when I began to listen to it, the first couple tracks, I was like, "Oh, I actually think I'm probably gonna like this more than they did." You know, I was like, "Hey, a couple songs." The first couple tracks I was like, "This is pretty good." Um, it just it a couple songs sounded like they were clearly like Kanye had this for Donda and then now he's kind of mm-hmm. handing it right it over. You. Yeah. Yeah. And so um overall though, there's a couple solid songs and everything's clean and produced really well. But um parts of it began it's to not drag for me. It's yeah. Not for me. Not not for me either. Like it, it kind of you know what it really did? Um it kind of made me miss Pop Smoke. Like, mm, like I feel like wow. this major super trap music moment with, with DJ Khaled and with uh, Destiny's Child samples and those kind of things, I feel like that was supposed to be for him, you know? That was for Pop Smoke. Yeah. Like, like, like even the way, I don't really want to hear Fabio singing the ways Pop Smoke was singing to girls either. Like, his version just sounded cooler. <laughs> like it just yeah. sounded a little more <laughs> a little more natural and again it doesn't mean really i can't point you know like it's not like any song is trash necessarily it just there's parts of it that just doesn't and it's not fair to him maybe but it feels like this would have been pop smoke's moment like that kind of moment is what he would have been going towards had he not of course tragically uh passed and everything and so that's kind and of what it made me was feel the album like. I knew it was the album that was going to be talked about the most over the weekend, but it just wasn't the one that had, had most of my attention. Honestly, it, 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 it was it was a it, it was a good album, but it's just certain parts of it just kind of felt redundant to me as the album went on. Oh, absolutely! Like it, like there's a I don't remember which three or four songs in a row that sounded pretty much like it was like one long song with <laughs> not even a full beat switch, but just like a little bit. And and I, yeah. you don't got to make I you know I don't want to hear him rapping over like you know, just some crazy, totally different beat. But I was like, eh, you know, next or, okay, yeah. I'll listen to it, but I'm probably going to go back to that one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and now kind of getting into, into Wiz Khalifa, Big Credit, and Girl Talk's full court press um, review um, and this collaborative LP, which was, you know, a product of over um, a decade-long friendship among the artists. It definitely has a, a timeless and upbeat feel to it. Um, and their lead single puts you on the group raps about the come up of their uh, respective careers and the rest of the album is a nostalgia throwback um, featuring undertones of the 70s and 80s. But um, what were some of your overall thoughts on this album and some of the uh, highlights in it? Oh, man. So th- this could be, I don't know yet if it's an expectation thing. I very much enjoyed a lot of this album. <laughs> yes, there, there's, yeah, there's a couple tracks where I'm probably like, eh, I'll skip that. I'll probably won't play that again. 
But like, there's a good chunk of songs. It was like, like that eight I, out of ten for me. Like, yeah. like eight out of ten tracks, I really like. I honestly yeah. thoroughly enjoyed this. I was listening to this and I was like, oh man, this like the production sounded excellent too. Even on the songs I didn't care for, like the uh, the production was really really good. I was. This is the most to me. I don't know. I didn't know if there's any background of what was going on, but like the the this was a very random collaboration type album Super to me random. it caught me <laughs> off guard i was like what <laughs> yeah i mean i i get in a sense you know a lot of people my age and generation like these are two people who you know were very big um so i totally understand that in a sense that they're like hey so we might get both crowds liking this but um and so big crit is the one that i was referring to earlier when i said you almost have everything that would make you seem like you're a bigger rapper. You rap well, you have good beats, you have all this, but you don't quite ever get past that. And that's kind of the other person I was thinking of with Vince, kind of like you're in that weird realm where you do have a a good chunk of a cult following, but yeah, this album, I thought it was really good. Like, like it's, it's especially right here before the summer hits and everything. It's a very good, like I can see a lot of these songs you're playing in the car. You're playing at a hangout. a lot in the summer. Oh, absolutely. By, by a lot of dudes who, you know, probably closer to my age who, you know, still might wear throwbacks and, you know, things like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of that, a lot of that's probably still going to be happening because I, I thought it was very good. Like, I really enjoyed it. Like, like I was like, oh, let me listen to it. And I'll, you know, I'll probably like a song maybe. But I was like, no, some of this is going to be like in play all year. You know, like this is really good. I was stunned. Mm-hmm. I mean, ain't no fun how the story goes. Put you on season. Yep. By the coop. I mean, they were they really were fun. Like, were, were there any like a, a certain certain tracks that you kind of you know were drawn to the most? Yeah, I, probably the same ones you mentioned. Um, and yeah. I really didn't think I would have liked an "Ain't No Fun" because there's been like a million kind of versions of that, or like yeah. songs that allude to that song and things like that. Like, I was like, eh, I don't know. But then I, I caught myself keep listening to it and listening to it and listening to it. Um, but yeah, no singles. How the story goes is really good. Um, put you on with like, like that was the first one. Whenever it was like, oh dang, it's the second song sounds pretty good too. Like, I, I was I was really really surprised, and um, I'm actually going to be listening to this throughout the year. And I would not lot. have <laughs> thought that, and I wasn't looking for it, but I'm yeah. very pleasantly surprised. Definitely. Um, and now getting into Schoolboy Q's uh, Soccer Dad a review. Um, in this new track over a beat that kind of has a very old school '70s vibe to it, he you know really shows determination mixed with the grit that Q spits with, which you know reminds you why so many call him one of the hardest in the game. But uh, what are your thoughts on this single and what we can expect from him coming up? As you know, this is already set up to be uh, a big year for TDE. Yeah, um, I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool. Um, and and I, again, I like Schoolboy Q. I've seen him in concert before, and then uh, I was going to see him again, and we had to miss it from one. I think I think it was a little bit different um, in some sense of what I was expecting. I was it felt like part of the song, the way it was going, I was expecting for there to be like a hard like beat drop or something at some point. Um, yeah. And so it was good. I mean, I, overall, I thought it was good. I thought it was good. Not like the greatest thing ever, but I'm usually on singles in general. I'm kind of always like, okay, okay, that's cool. I guess it might give us a hint as to how the album's going to be. It seems very. Similar in line with how he makes music, but, you know, in his whole style of a lot of things, you know, with the 70s, he always has that with the groovy stuff and all that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I think what, what I kind of like is um, his last album, I thought it was good, but I didn't like love it, love it. And I feel like on that album a lot, he was kind of like aiming a little bit more for some singles type play. And what I like is that I don't think with this, he's doing that because this isn't the type of song that's going to be like, you know, the most streamed song, but I can still really like that song a lot, if that makes sense. Right. It's not going to be talked about as much as neck and wrist. It's not yeah. going to be talked about as much as... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we, which kind of excites me because I'm kind of like, okay, cool. He's, I mean, he's going to really be doing like what he's just wanting to do. There's not like what a... What he wants to do, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Definitely. so I, I really I really think I, I think I'm going to like it. It gets me excited, but it's not like I necessarily like think it's the greatest song ever or my favorite song this year, but it, was, it, it gives me a good like, oh, I'm really going to be looking for what you're going to be coming out with, you know? So I'm pretty excited about it. I liked it. Definitely. And, and I mean, in terms of some of the albums that that you've kind of heard already this year and, and even the ones you're looking forward to for the rest of the year, have there been like any like standout albums that you've listened to or, or even some ones that, that you're kind of looking forward uh, for, for them for them to come out uh, for the rest of the year? Oh man, there's there's been, there's been a few. Um, 
I'm trying to think real quick. My, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to Pusha T's album, of course. Yeah. Um, so when he drops, I'm, I'm a huge Pusha fan. So I'm really excited about that. I was a little disappointed by the Dreamville album, besides like maybe two songs. You so, didn't like the Dreamville album? It was it was okay to me. Like it kind of okay. felt like it was a lot of people's. Uh, a lot of people had some extra songs, and they put it together real quick. Uh, and it also didn't feel like they were like, "Oh, it's a Gangsta Grills mixtape," but it just felt like you threw in some ad libs to songs that were already made. You know what true. I mean? It didn't feel like how Tyler did it, and like it seemed into an actual mixtape. Um, I never really listened to Gunner that much. I liked his album. Um, I liked a lot of it actually. Um, but again, I have different expectations for different artists. You know what I mean? And so I, I definitely feel you. Yeah. And so, and then I, I've been kind of actually <laughs> for most of the year, I've been listening to a lot of older albums that people have already liked and stuff. So I've been kind of doing a mix. I'm excited. I haven't listened to the new Salt album, you know, with one of my favorites, Cleo Soul, in the mix I of that. I just listened to that last night. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I haven't yet. So I have it. I have it there ready to <laughs> yeah, to play. I feel, I feel you. And of course, if I don't even know my favorite rapper ever, I don't know if Kendrick's ever going to drop. I don't even get excited now because I'm just. That's like, really what I wanted to. That's really what that was the the. the, the but, 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 and, and, and I I can just feel feel the 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 feeling that that you're having about this because it is one of like the most like talked about things. But in terms of what he possibly has coming forward, and, and even like like we're at the five year anniversary of, of of his last album, damn. Like, what are your thoughts on how that's? you know, been viewed in the last five years and also what he possibly has coming, coming up for it. Yeah. I mean, I just don't, I, I think it's, I'm not going to have any expectations, you know, like I'm kind of just, you can't, you can't. yeah. Like, like I've, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I do think it, there are things that clearly indicate something's going to be happening soon. Like, I mean, he put that letter out last year. Um, and that's why even towards the end of the year, I didn't think he was going to, uh, uh, release because he talked about having like in a sense owning the year so i was like he's not going to release nothing at the very end of this year then so i i do i would predict but i'm not putting my heart into it i feel like he actually might be coming pretty soon um and so I get this weird feeling that we might be getting it in the summer i get this weird feeling and yeah, it see, may not it, happen but i think the summer makes a lot of sense. see and my prediction would have been like uh right before summer which like i said i think it could be really soon and i actually have a weird prediction that like He's probably going to do something and then something else even. Um, And what I mean is like, because there's the transition from he's going to be doing his last TDE album. And PG Lang. Yeah. And then I feel like he could probably throw out like a seven track. Oh, but this is my first PG Lang thing. And that might be like the last quarter type thing he releases, you know? Um, For sure. Because I feel like obviously with this whole time, you've been out and it's been just... It's been hard, you know. All of my all of my Drake stands, I have to argue with him. I can't even argue with him no more because my favorite guy doesn't even rap. So, you know, <laughs> we got a yeah. lead now. The Drake stands have a lead. We're we're we're, in the, we're we're ahead right now. Aubrey's Aubrey's <laughs> angels are out here, you know. Um, um, and I and that's funny because I mean I like Drake a lot. I just it just you know naturally those arguments happen. Oh, Saba's album. That's another album oh, I yes, really few enjoyed. Few good things. Few good things. Yes. Yes. yes I forgot about that. Um, I really, I've never really listened to Saba that much um, until recently, actually, like this year. And so mm. I really enjoyed his album. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I've went back to like listen to it a few times. Um, and then like other than that, I mean, and then Cord- Corday had some good songs, but didn't love his album as much as I was didn't hoping. Didn't stick with me. Yeah. And did you like Conway's album? Uh, I haven't listened to Conway's yet. Okay. I haven't listened to Conway's yet. Um, I listen to uh, man. It's always hard to keep track with all the different um, releases <laughs> from. Yeah, because Benny dropped as well. Yes, Oops. I listen to Benny's and I, and I like Benny's a lot. Uh, that's another one. Uh, I like Benny's. Um, they put out albums. Thank you for every saying you like it, Savon. If you're listening, another person <laughs> said they like Savon hates Benny. Savon, I liked it. I liked it. I liked it. I thought it was good. Like, I, but no, I haven't. I hadn't listened to. Um, Conway's, yeah, that's that's one I want to, and I have it lined up. There's also one one. Um, if you've never heard of this artist, there's one I've just started listening to. Her name is Flores. Um, mm. She's R and B R B singer, amazing. She's a she's uh, she's Mexican. Uh, she sings R and B music. She has some a couple songs that even have some really interesting social commentary about working and labor and her family and all these things, but just has. Like, if you're into a lot of R&B stuff, a lot of the sound that's out now, she she has some songs that are amazing. Just look her up. Uh, it's just F-L-O-R-E-S. And then just 
place. What's funny is her most played song is not necessarily my favorite, but after that, all the songs I've been playing, I've really, really enjoyed. And so um, that's somebody, if y'all haven't heard of her, she's not super, super big, um, that I think is really, really good. I've, I found a couple of random people like that. There's one other lady too. I don't know if you've heard of a lady named, I, th- I think it's Roanne, R-O-A-N-N. I haven't heard of her. That's another one. Look, look her up. Okay. Um, it was just saw her on like Instagram randomly, and she started. She was releasing music. Really good R and B artist. Um, them two are the ones that I found that I'm like, oh dang, they're some of their songs only got like twenty thousand streams, you know, like but they sound really, really good. Um, uh, those two artists. I don't know if they have too many full out projects. They have a couple things out, but they're really, really good too. If you're trying to find some more like R and B music to listen to that you might not have heard. And even Alex Isley's Marigold, did, were you able to hear that album yet? No, I haven't heard that. Okay. No, 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 no. Really I haven't. Really I'll, I'll check that out next. I haven't, I have not listened to Alex Isley much, really, actually. Mm. So I know I've heard some singles here and there, but I will put it on here for the next album up. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, we're going to take a quick break and be right back with our Minuscule Society review. Welcome back to the show. Now we're getting into our Minister Society review. And to start with the overview, Minister Society is a 1993 teenhood drama film directed by the Hughes brothers in their directorial debut. Um, the film is set in Watson Crenshaw neighborhoods of Los Angeles and follows the life of Katie Kane Lawson and his close friends. I'm um, again no- notoriety for its scene of uh, violence and drug-related content and also received critical acclaim for the performances of Turner, Pinkett, and Tate. Um, the direction and its realistic portrayal of urban violence and, and powerful underlying messages. Uh, it had a budget of $3.5 million and brought in $30 million into the box office. And has an 84% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, just started off, Kevin, like, what were your initial thoughts on this film and just, you know, how there was just so much authenticity put into it? And it's really remembered um, even years later for, for just, you know, how relevant of a film it is. Yeah, I um, <laughs> I don't even remember the first time I watched it. Like, it's a movie I had when I was younger and yeah. had just always watched it. It's one of my five favorite movies of all time. Like, it's one of my favorite movies ever. Um and so I think it's incredible. I think it's um, it's lasted well. So it's hard for me to, to kind of revisit what are my first thoughts would have been, especially then. Um, it can even be your latest. It can be, it, even be your, your latest thoughts, like the last time you saw it. Yeah, you know, you know, one one thing that the I've always watched it and just knew the movie and hadn't really thought critically in ways about it besides knowing it's a good movie. But I remember going back and even looking at uh, people's whether their praise or critiques of it. Um, and, and some of them I understood, but there was some of it that just kind of was weird to me a little bit. Like I remember reading, uh, Roger Ebert, you know, biggest movie dude ever. Right. And when you go read one of his reviews, it's kind of weird because he gets a different message from parts of it than I do, for example. And, um, he talks about how it's kind of like, you know, the movie is emphasizing, it's not just the evil racists out there, but really it's your own people doing it. And, you know, it'd be easy to blame them, but it's not really them. It's you. Um, stuff like that, that I was kind of like, man, that's a weird. I didn't quite get that from that. That's, you know? weird, that's a weird take. Yeah, weird exactly. Take. Like, like, <laughs> like, I didn't get that because one of the most significant moments to me whenever I watched the movie again was really that, that, that one part with uh, Sharif's dad. And, and they're talking about um, they're in the school and then he's telling them about, you know, the hunt is on and you he's talking about him as a black man and you are the prey and that he's literally just pretty much begging him to do something that can cause him just to survive in a place that doesn't want him to exist, you know? And, and I think that it's a very telling thing because the whole movie, the whole theme is you have a guy who, who is talented. He's smart. He's able to do things. And because of a few circumstances that he gets mixed into, there winds up being, awful consequences, you know, life-ending consequences to it. Whereas for a lot of other people, they can kind of get mixed into similar things and they kind of just, there's more of a safety net. There's more of situations that they're able to get out of and how you almost have to be spotless and perfect. And sometimes even if you are, there can still be stuff that catches you up and gets you mixed into a lot of of mess, you know, because right. it obviously, uh, with Kane, it, it uh, contrasts his character a little bit with O-Dog, you know? Which mm-hmm. I don't really know where the O comes from still to this day. I still don't. <laughs> that like, is a great question. Where did that come from? Come on, you got, you got to tell us, guys. I don't know. I, th- I think because I think someone else called KD or something. Like, I, I don't. I don't know where the O comes from. Maybe I don't know. Never Maybe they have some that. backstory. Maybe they have a prequel someday. 
you know. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, I, I just kind of like, when you see that contrast, you do see the one guy who kind of has that, people might think is a stereotypical gangster type person. Because some people have critiques saying, oh, some of the movies are cliche, you know, things like that. But I'm like, just because some things exist that way doesn't necessarily mean they're showing it and saying, hey, it's a stereotype. They're showing the results of that hopelessness, the results of people being forced to live in such an area like that and without maybe having hope. But even when you do, the situation, it can be so bad that it pulls you into it, even whenever you're trying to get out in some in some way. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, because, like, this film won't universally always be accepted. Like, if, 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 when you have a guy like Roger Ebert who's giving reviews, like, he's going to give the highest reviews to, to the films he, th- he thinks are the best and 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 maybe not as good of ones as, as ones that he that, that he doesn't think that measure up. Like, do you feel as though in terms of j- just the message of this film and it pro- possibly not getting the same type of praise from universal critics, like, that's why it'll only get, I, I, I kind of get, like, maybe applause or a certain acclaim from different groups of people that can kind of relate to it more and understand it. Yeah, no, no, I, I think it does. I, th- I think that's why... There's things, a lot of times people wind up comparing this, for example, to like Boys in the Hood. You know, yeah. those are two of the bigger kind of, especially in this genre of like hood movies or like really big classic ones that are just really good. And like, even people who critique, you know, uh, Menace of Society, they're still generally, it's still spoken of pretty well. But yeah. um, I think there's a certain rawness to it that even Boys in the Hood doesn't quite have. Like, and I, I don't necessarily know how to explain that. Like, I think the characters do an amazing job they they act incredibly well. Obviously, Lorenz Tate is like super underrated himself, even, um, and in so many movies he's in. But like, uh, just seeing the rawness of the movie, the movie is much more raw in things that happen, the the emotions that go into the things that happen, the um, the realistic portrayal of just how like the value of life can be d- diminished, you know, um, and how those things can exist. Uh, I think it's a very raw movie. And it can maybe be a little unsettling maybe for, you know, for different groups, whatever that means or whatever that looks like for them. Yeah, absolutely. And um, now getting into our first topic from one to four stars, what would you give it? Um, I would definitely give it four as this film was just, you know, extremely brilliant and undeniably effective in terms of it being just so powerful and, and convincing. It really was just a full scale vision of the madness that that kind of like tore up the inner city. Um, to you, kind of like from one to four stars, what would be your particular rating? Oh, I'm giving it four, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. I can give it five or six. I'd give it that two, yeah. seven, eight, whatever it is. Like I said, I, I think the movie's incredible on the just watching it. I think it's incredible to think about. I think it's in it's a rewatchable movie. It has I mean it's it weirdly has like a dark humor throughout the whole movie too. Like, you know, like it's it it's it obviously ends in a way that makes it makes it hard to rewatch sometimes, of course. Um and and that's actually as I've gotten older and been more engaged in in um whether it's activism things or involved in like the communities where sometimes the, it can, it can leave you a little disparish, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah really no, can. it's, it's, it's an excellent movie. Absolutely. And, and I mean, like, can you kind of tell in certain, cause, cause there have been you no know, films similar to this, but they haven't been able to age as well. Like, what do you think kind of makes certain films that, that don't age as well as this one kind of like fall into that loophole of not really being able to carry the same weight as a movie like this one did. Cause obviously it, it's, it, it, this is just a different level of, of filmmaking, but there have been certain similar ones that haven't been able to, to like even stand up to this caliber. Yeah. I, I really think I'm, I keep emphasizing it, but I really do think it has to do with um, just how well the characters are just made and developed in the show. Um yeah. That, that this is something where I think you know, for example, Boys in the Hood, I, I think is probably maybe a little bit uh, better written or better like narrative story things like that. My preference in movies, I'm a very big person who emphasizes like the characters, like how good are the characters? Like, could I just watch that character interact doing anything? For me, that's a win. And I feel like with the characters that we have in this show, you could have another whole series of it of them just doing their day to day things, and it would be very interesting hearing what they talk about, hearing all the dynamics of how religion affects it, hearing the dynamics of, oh, we want to escape, but I don't want to go to Kansas, you know, hearing um, O-Dog just do crazy stuff, you know, whatever it'd be. <laughs> like, like, I think for me, that's what helps certain things last is because, like, it's not just, man, that was a good story. It's This could have been a mini-series. Like, it yes. honestly could have even been a mini-series and it would have been still captivating. Exactly, exactly. And so I, I think things that have really good whether it's their acting or the way they present the character or those kind of things, 
I think that's what helps a lot of things last as well. Because, you know, sometimes things will be a great or original story. But generally, those things kind of just, after a while, people do better versions because they're like, hey, that's not a new story anymore. We can kind of improve or build on it. But I think if you do an excellent character, it's kind of hard to build someone if they're already likable or if they do their job well or those kind of things. And so that's probably the thing that I think stands out the most in keeping that still current in that way. Definitely. And now getting into our second topic, favorite character. Um, you know, I would go with Kane as with him being the main villainous protagonist and involved with the robberies and murders, he was still kind of like even more remorseful compared to Odok's character and just kind of like what he was really like contemplating and having to to, to just settle in the, the some of the some of the, the main decisions he was making in this movie. Like to you, who was like your overall favorite character and the one that kind of like resonated with you the most? Well, I wouldn't say it's a weird one to say favorite or if it resonates with me, (laughs) but like, um, I, I, I mean, O-Dog to me really, really stands out. Um, I feel like there's not many other people who could like come in and play that character the way he, the way he did. Um, and I feel like, exactly. (laughs) And, and I feel like he just does such a good job. Obviously he's the main person that pushes actually the narrative of a lot of what's going on. I mean, yeah. he's the main person showing the reality of things that go on and, and the ways people act. I mean, for Kane, I mean, if, if he wasn't, if O-Dog's not there, I mean, there's probably another scenario in which he just kind of like gets out and he does these things and you can make a movie mm-hmm. where those things aren't happening. There's not a tape about being robbed or about about the, the murder, those kind of things. And I think O-Dog's character is just like showing how these things exist in somewhere where you feel like you just don't even got hope. Um, that that it's not as simple as just telling someone, oh, you can do this, because he's just like so jaded that he's mm-hmm. just kind of doing these things. And that's representative of a lot of people. I mean, of course, for everyone, it doesn't get that extreme. But um, his character is always the most memorable to me um, whenever I watch this movie or when I'm thinking about the movie. Yeah, uh, to, 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 to tell the listeners, we're not saying Odar resonates with us. I, I never <laughs> no, 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 no. Odar doesn't resonate I'm, with us. I'm sorry. I'm not, <laughs> not I'm, at all. I'm not the Odog of, of not, seminary. Not <laughs> that would, I don't even know what that would mean that necessarily. Would not be good. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but getting into kind of like most memorable scenes, um, I had um, the liquor store robbery, uh, Kane graduating high school, um, also the graduation party, Harold's death, um, mm-hmm. gr- grandpa's speech. Uh, the tape, Revenge for Harold, and, and obviously Kane's death. Um, but to you, kind of like what was the most memorable scene overall uh, in, in this film, looking back at it? Overall, I mean, it, it's, it has to, like for me, is the end. Um, yeah, just be. reflecting on the asking if he cares whether he lives or dies and realizing, you know, like, man, I kind of do now. Or before, he didn't seem like he knew, you know. He was like, I don't know, I'm just kind of existing. Um, but now it's kind of too late for him. I mean, obviously, that's what makes it like hard to kind of rewatch um, is just to know that. And I think the the movie's trying to like give that little bit of a message. Um, and again, I, I get why some people take that as like, they almost take that as that kind of respectability politics. Like, hey, y'all shouldn't be killing each other. Don't worry about what's going on there. But I don't, I don't take it as that. I take it as more like, hey, this is the awful reality you're in. Come on, let's try to like see what we can do as much as possible while we have to unfortunately just only survive as the earlier speech said in a society that doesn't want you to really even be there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and I mean, looking back this cast and, and even some, somebody, somebody specifically as Lorenz Kate, who, who was in this film also has been, in, has been in power waist deep, um, dead presidents, like, like even looking at his career and, and how this film started for him, like what have been your thoughts on how his career has played out and some of the, the, kind of like highlight films he's been in and, and even the shows that he's been a part of. Oh man, I think he's almost kind of similar to the to the other people we mentioned earlier. Like, but I think probably even I think he's a little bit higher than that in the sense of like mainstream understanding. But like I think the yeah, like I love Dead Presidents. I know Dead Presidents is not as technically like good a film as some others. Um yeah. obviously like Love Jones and Crash he's in really good, even though the movie's kind of didn't age as well. <laughs> um, uh, I, I always forget he's even in Ray. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And and so the thing is, like, I think he's incredible. Oh, and he was in power. He came in in power with, like, the reverend mm-hmm. at, the, at the church there and stuff. I think, like, anything he's in, he, his, he just knocks it out, even if the show is average or the movie's average. He does incredible. And so I, he's almost like that person, like, uh, how we mentioned with Vince Staples. Like, man, why isn't he known as, like, 
you know, much bigger in the ways. And I guess he just doesn't maybe have some of the movies where he's uh, the main person in some mega movie that would come off like a Will Smith or Denzel. Or, and I'm not saying he should be in that category necessarily. But, uh, I mean, I do hear him being brought up, I, I, you know, with any of my friends who are black or brown and watch movies that he's in. I hear he gets brought up very fast, but in the general mainstream of things. Not mentioned as much. No, no, not at all. Like, I mean, people will be like, oh, okay, I kind of remember him from something. Or, oh, I think he was in blank. Or I've seen him before, but I don't remember where, you know. He'll he'll get those kind of things. Or like, wait, wasn't he in a Will Smith episode or Fresh Prince episode, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. I think he's in one or two. I I can't remember. But, you know, there's a lot of things like that. And I think he just never had maybe one, like, standout movie slash project that would have done this, even though to me, that's what this would be. But, you know, uh, I think his career... This is definitely a standout. This is definitely a standout. Yeah, <laughs> I just mean kind of like, you know, how Will Smith had like an Ali. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. you know, Denzel. The box office type, yeah. The box, that, that's box a better office, word. Yeah, yeah the, the, the kind of the big box office smash yeah, movie. Um, he kind of didn't have like just one of those to always point to. Again, for me, it, it is Menace to Society. I'd always, I'd be like, yeah, him there, you know, and the other movies I mentioned earlier, he's, he's really good in. So, yeah, he's one of my favorite actors. Like, he's really good. And so I, I really enjoy him and everything. Definitely. Um, and I'll get into most memorable quotes. Um, I had uh, my grandpa asked me one time if I care about uh, if I care whether I live or die. Also, give me your gun. Uh, being a black man in America isn't easy. The hunt is on and you're the prey. And then finally, I'll never stop trying to reach the top because I still remember how the bottom felt. Um, so you kind of like what were some of the quotes in, in this one that you kind of felt what were, were maybe like the highlights in it? Yeah, I mean, uh, those are some of them. Uh, definitely, like I said, uh, the I think it helps frame the movie, the whole hunted and prey quote that's there. I think uh, whenever Kane's describing O-Dog, talks about him being the craziest person alive. Um, what is it? Like America's nightmare, young, black, and doesn't give, you know, a word. <laughs> um, I, think, I think that's a big one because you're kind of setting up, like, what kind of character he is. And that Kane knows what kind of person he is, you know? Like, mm-hmm. he knows that he's not just, uh, oh, you know, he reluctantly did this, or he's whatever. He goes, no, nah, he's he's pretty crazy. He's pretty wild. Um, and I thought it was interesting, especially someone who's, who's a Christian and works in, um, you know, ministries. And we work here in, in an area that's, quote, unquote, the hood or whatever. And we have a lot of kids that we talk to. You know, we have a lot of stories of, oh, this kid shot somebody. Or I know kids who are ducking out from the community now and have to hide somewhere because they're afraid about, you know, um, retaliation from somebody, you know, or people's houses getting shot up. Things like that that we see and hear from a lot with the kids that we interact with. And it's kind of interesting how, like, whenever they're talking and he talks about how he kind of reflects on how his grandpa is only talking to him about the religious part and what that sounds like to people whenever they're only hearing it and it just, I think he says like it goes in one ear and out the other. Exactly. Um, and in how and it kind of just doesn't stick that way. And and for me trying to figure out, this is a very memorable thing for me that I try to like think on my mind, like how do I make a bridge to where I can talk with people about those things and I can even talk about like where it comes from, but how do I make it seem like they know that I really care, you know, right? that yeah. I'm not just trying to push another agenda necessarily, but I do care but I'm also like letting you know about like how I care, where it comes from, because, and I have a member. I mean, I have a tattoo, for example, of a song from Good Kid, Mad City, "The Sing About Me." Mm. I have a tattoo of that on me because that's one of my favorite songs wow. ever, and it's a reminder. Because actually, that album and this movie remind like that's like the natural connection for me. One and um, one, yes. yes. <laughs> and 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 so I have that reminder because like it's something that I think about. It's one of my favorite songs, favorite artists. So it's just something there. But then also just the the narrative of the song and how they talk about like the retaliation and these things happening and and kind of that same question about, you know, do you care whether you live or die? People do. Like in that song, they kind of keep going through those verses talking about how I don't want to fade away or, you know, hey, before I get shot and the thing happens, you know, those kind of things. It reminds me of the reality of things and not to talk about stuff like in an abstract sense, like, hey guys, we're talking about hope. <laughs> but to be like, no, nah, this is a real thing that people are having go on um, and how to like really connect all that. So like these things all together are really meaningful to me. Like I said, and and that, and that his grandpa is kind of like as the figure of, it's kind of like representative of religion in general that they're kind of saying like, 
this is how we often feel about how people in churches talk to us and being like, how can they I were really saying make that up? indirectly in such a strong way? Almost like mm-hmm. I've heard this a million times and I don't want to hear it again. Exactly. Like, Cause and, and, and what we often do is we go, Oh, well, y'all just want to talk bad about the church or y'all want to talk bad about the thing. And look, there's some people who do, but right. I'm like, no, I can hear it and be like, Hey, if, if that's how you're feeling, then I want to make sure that I react that way. I want to get it to a point where you don't, you say, Hey, you know what? I might not even believe in their God, but I know that they care for me or I know that they want to do something for me. You know what I mean? I definitely don't want them to ever think I'm trying to push another agenda or I'm trying to do anything else besides that type of thing. So that that kind of interaction has always kind of shaped my engagement with people and kind of like helping me think that I don't want that to be, to come off that way. Because you can have great intents. His grandpa's not like a bad character or anything. You know what I mean? Like he's not a bad person and just trying to get him in church to get money from him. But sometimes what's heard isn't necessarily what's what you're saying either. And, and it, we have to kind of be a little mindful of that a little bit. Absolutely. And, and getting into our next topic, what did you kind of like the most about the storyline? Um, t- to me, like the dark reflection that it had and it kind of like pushing itself to to a, uh, a, a certain type of fatalism and really depicting what life was in, in that specific space and, and time period was was really effective and um, just very authentic in, in how they portrayed it. Like to you, like what particular element of the storyline did you kind of like the most? Man, um, I think... When I really think through it, I do. I just do think it. It is a really good way to show, kind of just again the raw realities of how hard things can be, even for those who are trying to do better. You know, um, there's often the assumption from a large group of people that people are just doing these things because it's chaos and because they're just bad people or whatever, or they're just wanting to be greedy or they don't want to work, so they're going to rob somebody. Those kind of things. When that's not in reality what it is. I mean, can there be some people? Yeah, of course. I mean, they even have O Dog as like a character that way, and um, of who's just, you know, hey, I'm jaded already. I'm kind of just chaos, <laughs> you know. He's kind of like equivalent to the Joker, but in the hood in a way. <laughs> um, yeah. Like no <laughs> exactly. hope, no nothing. But, yeah. um, but it, it I, I think just showing how that can exist and that it's not simply just, well, you know, you need to just think about what happened and don't do that. And, uh, you know, but that there's an element of hope that can exist. And even though we know that Cain wasn't quite sure if he wanted to live or die, he still wasn't trying to actively be hurting people in the sense of like, that's my aim. I mean, he obviously gets involved in stuff reactively um, and things he shouldn't be, you know. But um, I think just kind of displaying that, that there's someone who's, kind of almost at times a good version of how you think someone should act. And yet these same kind of consequences can still exist uh, in this kind of environment. And so just showing, I I think when I think and talk about it, it's like we need to do what we can to make sure these kind of environments, people don't feel they have to get to that, you know? Exactly. Yeah, definitely. And, and and finally, getting to our last topic 10 years from now, like do you still think it will be watchful and intriguing? Obviously it, it has definitely crossed that time period and like looking at it, like the narrative is just is just so tight and focused. Um, it, it's definitely one of the best films of the 1990s. And and just with, with the bleakness of it, it was able to have this message, that, like even as you've mentioned, that it's going to be able to stand the test of time. But to, to you, like, what do you think will make this watchable and intriguing for, for another 10 years for people that even haven't seen this film or even heard about it? Oh, man, I, I think obviously with the current, well, I say current, but it's been, you know, close to 10 years now the more heightened awareness of like just the social realities of people, uh, particularly black and brown people or uh, groups in America that face these kind of situations. I think, I think that it's always a very relevant thing to watch, you know, to, to see that kind of situation. And and I think because more people are hopefully trying to understand, um, although not like everyone is necessarily, of course, but like, you know, the fact that, these things have been being brought up. I think it does help to like always keep that kind of message relevant. Um, you know, even though things might not look exactly the same or it might not come out the same way, the same story happens in a lot of places, you know. Um, Absolutely. It's not a unique story. It's actually a very normal story in a sense. Pretty in normal. a really weird way. Yeah. yeah, like it's a very, oh, that's what normal is happening, you know. Um And that's what I kind of liked a little bit, too, about, say, for example, compared to Boys in the Hood a little bit, that his character isn't like a perfect, clean, 
shiny example, like, hey, you have to be perfect, and then it doesn't happen. But it's like, hey, you know, everyone's going to be human and have some stuff going on. And, and I think it's really easy at times for people to tell others, like, well, why would you be friends with someone that's crazy like that? But you don't realize, like, at times when you're in situations, you don't got other people. Like, what are you supposed to do, you know? Um, and and so and I, I think, think this, another, thing, another thing with Boys in the Hood, you got to think about, they've got Cuba Gunn Jr., they've got Angela Bassett, they've got Lauren, they've got certain actors that, people were drawn more to, and I feel as though sometimes, like, the, even the cast, they, the cast was kind of, like, even more like a, a, an A-list cast compared to this oh, yeah. one, even though obviously, like, like Minnesota Society is right up there, but I feel as though even, like, the level of of notoriety and just familiar, familiarity people have with those people were was a little more than this one. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, Lawrence Fishburne, you got, like, because uh, you had some people who weren't even big yet. I, my mind's blanking on everyone else, but, like, and I'm never, I don't even want to make it seem like I'm trying to only, uh, mine's only sticking up for this movie more than I'm ever talking bad about the other one because uh, Boys in the Hood's incredible, oh, but yeah. um, th- just just the rawness of it I think is a really in your face kind of confrontation with the reality of these things that happen and just um and what needs to be done you know um and what the things that need to be helped and and reformed and changed in order to prevent the kind of environment in which this is just a casual headline you'd read in a newspaper. I guess not really a newspaper no more. A tweet and an article or whatever tweet, it is, yeah. you know. <laughs> Twitter news. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, well, Kevin, it's been an absolute pleasure having, having you on again. And thanks so much for being back on, man. For sure. Thanks for having me. Definitely. Well, that wraps it up for today. I'm Host Wednesday Burns. This has been Full Scope. See you later.